Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. Today, I'm talking to Barty Strange. He's an incredible musician who just released his debut album, Live Forever, out on Memory Music, which is a label owned by friend and past guest of the podcast, Will Yip. Live Forever has yet to be filed away in my record collection because it's pretty much had a permanent residency next to my turntable since it arrived in the mail. That's how much I love that record. Uh, I'm so thrilled to have had Bartiz on and to get a a little bit of his time because he's been super busy since the release of his record. So there's a a lot of fun chat here about Pitchfork, Oklahoma City, The National, Garth Brooks, and, and much, much more. So strap in. This one's awesome. This is the first ever podcast. And this is my conversation with Barty Strange. Barty, thanks so much. For, yeah, thanks so much for doing this. This is a. Uh, I feel like our our uh, our social media relationship of the last two and a half weeks or something has uh, has culminated to this moment. So thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, this is great. I'm so excited to to be on it, and uh, you know, good to meet you and. And like kind of in person. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's cl- no problem. It's close to uh, as as close to meeting someone as we can possibly have with uh, being across the country from one another. Um, are you in uh, are you in D.C. right now? Yeah, I am. Nice. How's uh, how's the weather in D.C. today? It is gloomy and it's rainy and it's like kind of perfect. It's like my ideal weather situation. Oh, that's that's precisely that is precisely mine too. It's funny the day that uh that you know Biden got announced, I saw you know they were like showing videos and stuff from uh from DC, and I saw so many people in like t-shirts, and I was like, is it is it like warm in DC today? Yeah, it was. Um, it's dude, the weather's been so weird. Like, I don't know. I was like the last two weeks though, I haven't even been in DC. I was um like for the last month, I've been like all over the place um so i just got back here like two days ago were you uh, it's funny i uh i heard i was listening you know I'm, I'm trying to be i always try to be professional listen to listen to interviews read some interviews and uh i heard you say that you were just doing a recording another recording session is that where you were yeah i was i was tracking a band in hudson and uh and then like at the beginning of october i was like recording I was like pre-producing some stuff for the ne- my next record, so I've just been going, going. <laughs> wow, that's. I mean, I'm impressed with uh, with your with your ability to to just continue writing and continue working. Well, I guess we can get into all that in a little bit, but that's uh, I, you know, I'm always I'm always impressed when someone just puts out a record and they're like, oh yeah, I'm already like halfway done with the next one. It's like, damn. But I also know that you recorded this new record, like last year right it was like last february yeah mm-hmm. and like damn yeah so i record exactly i recorded it like last february and um and the record i put out earlier this year i recorded that one like this time last year so like oh my god yeah so it's just been like just just rocking i don't know it's been a lot <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy what that actually reminds me of a lot of is um do you know i, I I don't know. I'm sure you're familiar with her, but do you know Julian Baker? Like, have you ever met her? Oh, yeah. Oh, I've never met her, but I know her music very well. Yeah. So that first record, the sprained ankle record, that was like free on her band camp for like a year before she even got signed. So then like she had to wait like another year or something before that came out. And I remember, you know, it it sounds like similar to your situation. It's like as soon as it was out, it was like, I'm I've been playing these songs forever. Like I want to do something yeah. new already. Yeah. Well, it's weird. Like a lot of people are like, Oh, it sucks that you want to get to play on the record. And I was like, I've been playing on the record for a year. <laughs> like <laughs> I was playing all these songs last year. Um, there are plenty yeah. of people who are hearing the record and being like, Oh, finally these are out. Great. <laughs> right. Totally. But I, I guess in the, in that sense though, at least if, you know, I guess the difference would be if you were to get to do them right now, it'd be, likely a much different experience than when you were doing it before it was officially out, you know, like crowd wise and, and all of that. How's, how's that? Yeah. You, know, you know, it's funny. Like I, I do my best to not dive too into COVID stuff. Cause it's not something we all want to think about, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's been wearing on us for so long. And especially as musicians where, you know, 
we, you and I both just put out records that we're obviously very proud of. And it's, it just sits on you that, you know, you can't do anything tour wise with it, but, um, how are you, how are you feeling about that currently at this moment? Like, cause I know this is like a big moment for, for you. It's your first record. You're getting a lot of acclaim. Like is your way of dealing with it? Just continue writing and writing and writing. Is that how you're sort of adapting? Yeah. I mean, that's how I'm trying to deal with it because otherwise it's too much of a bummer. Like I would Mm. feel really bad if I put that record out and a year came by, like happened before I could tour again. And I did like nothing else. You know, I I would Mm. be like, I would be really stressed out on the road. Like I can see future Bartis being like, damn, I was at home for eight months and I didn't write a record. And now I have to right. write a record, you know, it's like, it's such a weird thing. So I'm like, yeah, like I need to keep writing like now more than ever. Shit. Hopefully I can write two records. Like, <laughs> you know, that's kind of yeah. where, my, where my head is. <laughs> oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. I'm like, damn, um, let me get as many as I can. Cause once I do get on the road, I want to like stay, you know, I want to just like, I will be so ready to be on the road, you know? Right. Also, I mean, congratulations on, uh, on, on all the acclaim and the, uh, it, you know, I love this. I love the small world situation that you and I also have where um, your really sweet pitchfork, you know, uh, best new music uh, was written by Brian Josephs, who actually um, we had hired to write our bio for our newest record. So it was a cool oh, thing wow. to see. Yeah. Brian's really cool. I don't know him very well, but um, I like his writing. So we reached out, we re- we had reached out to him and and he did such a wonderful job. So when your review came up, I was so excited for you. And then I saw Brian wrote it and I was like, oh, how cool. Wow. What a small world that, you know, that was, I've, I still have never met Brian and, you know, I was flattered by that review and, you know, it's, you know, very cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate absolutely. it. But yeah. Brian, he did a great job. He's an awesome writer. I really love his stuff. Yeah. I've, you know, uh, you know, some people, some people take, you know, getting great reviews, especially on Pitchfork, like a little more serious than others, but, but, you know, it's such a, it's such a wonderful feeling to get something like that. And uh, I've, again, uh, you know, not to try to glob onto your, to your uh acclaim but you know you got it the week before us and then having you know us back to back on that was was something i was really excited about just you know because guitar music is you know it's been struggling for a couple of years it's so Yo. to have both of us you know what i'm saying yes exactly and you know I'll, I'll say it you know it's weird to say on the record i guess but like you know i love ian cohen and i you know a part of me was like you know, I would, I love like how much attention like he's driven to like my music, but it would be great if like a black writer like covered my record, you know, and, and mm. someone that was like maybe like had a foot in a different world. So it wouldn't be just seen as only guitar music. And, and, right. you know, cause I was trying to like bridge some stuff with, you know, and, um, it just like that, you know, it, it couldn't have happened any better. And I think like, us back to back was just like so sick to be like oh like rock songs are still dope <laughs> you know like people are <laughs> still like writing crushing rock songs um and finding ways to keep them current and like to push the the genre like in a slightly more like explorative direction you know i think it's like really powerful and y'all's record was incredible <laughs> i was like it's disgusting every time i hear it man it's just it's like you know, I, I like engineer and produce and stuff. So like, of course my brain just goes like, what are these like signal chains? What's the like amps they're using? What guitars are they using? Everything. Like I want to know everything about how that record was made, but, um, y'all, oh, y'all wow. crushed it. Crushed oh, it. thanks so much. Yeah. We, uh, the guy we did it with Ross Robinson is, is, uh, oh, yeah. he'll spend, he'll spend all of the time happily for like 12 hours just like I'll, I'll have to send you a photo of like the pedals that were out. I'm sure it's not not any different than when you're making your own record too. But like the amount of guitar pedals that were just like laid out, like it it looked like you know like a like a you were at a cemetery and they're all tombstones. There were so many of them, and they're just you know I would just like come in a little late, and there would just be like you can tell they're just like 
jumping around the room excited trying all this shit i'm just like man i I, (laughs) as a singer i can't relate to this but i am happy you're all happy (laughs) that's amazing yeah no i i'm all over that stuff um but yeah i mean that's cool and ross robinson of course you know yeah it's a trip it was a total trip but but yo so uh i know we talked a little bit about the show you know it's all about first experiences and things like that so um, I know you're I, also you've done so many interviews and, and uh, especially the the one recently you did with Tim on on Better Yet. Tim's a friend. That was a really enjoyable, enjoyable podcast. So, I'm you know, I'll I'll uh, I'll direct people to that one for for a deeper dive into some of the things we're going to brush on here. Um, but I, I know you're you know, you had a, you had the, the military father upbringing. So you're kind of jumping around a bit. Can you give me a little bit of a timeline of like where you were living in, in, uh, during your childhood. Cause I know, I know Oklahoma was a big part of it, but like how, what are some of the other spots and what ages were you at? Yeah, sure. Um, I was born in Ipswich, England in like 89, um, lived there. Um, me and my brother were both, both born in Europe. My little brother, Corey, he was born in Bitburg, Germany, two years later. Um, so we kind of bounced from like England, like England to Bitburg back and forth a couple of times, um, and we moved to the States. I was probably around 10, 11. Um, I went to um, Alamogordo, New Mexico. Um, wow. I, you know, we moved around a lot. I lived in Greenland for a stint. It was like a kind of thing my dad would get stationed. And, you yeah. know, there's times we'd be in places for four months and skip, you know. Um, but we really settled down when we moved to Oklahoma. I lived in Moore, Oklahoma first which is like central Oklahoma, right outside Oklahoma city. And then we moved to Mustang, which I was at from like middle school through high school. And then I went to college and then I went back to Oklahoma to finish school. <laughs> yeah. Um, University of Oklahoma. Yeah. Did when you were living in Oklahoma, is that where you dove yourself into, into more like, um, like, I guess, like alternative music and things like that. Is that, is that where you kind of got your roots there? Cause I, I have a, <clears throat> I have a big love for Oklahoma city actually. Um, oh, shit. like were you, were you going to shows at like the conservatory and yes. uh, there's all, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yo, I played, um, I played at the conservatory with rookie of the year in my high school, my high school band. Like, okay. We used to like, that was the spot, one of the few spots um, that you could go and catch like a good hardcore show. And like my whole upbringing was mostly like church, like, you know, church music. My parents were pretty religious. Um, so really, you know, up until I had friends who could drive or, you know, that was kind of how I could like hear other stuff. But like the first time I started getting into like hardcore or like thrash or even punk music was like in church. It was hearing like Norma Jean and Emery and all these tooth and nail bands that I could be like, yeah, mom, they're Christian. It's a Christian band. Hmm. Like that, like the almost, like all those bands was kind of like how I could listen to anything interesting. And uh, in Oklahoma city, like if they were touring through, they would play at bad grannies, the green. Yes. The conservatory, the opolis, like that was just kind of where those shows were. And most of them were all ages. So like you could pull up and, you know, that's where I saw a lot of those bands. And I had a little high school band that used to play in Oklahoma City a lot. And like we got to open for some. It was dope. (laughs) That was a a cool, cool thing. For listeners, uh, he just mentioned Bad Grannies. Bad Grannies is a is a thrift store that is that is a the where the bands play is. Uh, I'd go as far as to say it's a glorified hallway. It is. <laughs> oh my god! I can't. Be- I mean, this is blowing Yo, my t- mind. I can't yeah. believe this. Touche, touche. Uh, played Bad Grannies probably pr- pr- at least three times. At least three times, and Conservatory the rest of the time. There was a band that actually, um, my band before. Touche um, toured with and had a good relationship with from Oklahoma City called Destroyer Destroyer. Does that sound familiar Ooh, to you, dude? Big band, big Oklahoma yeah. City band. Like yeah. I know those guys. Yes, very well. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Unfortunately, Jamie passed. Uh, the singer passed not too long ago. But um, Dallas, who was the bass player, is still a good friend. Like he's like a he's like a Muay Thai guy. And uh, and like travels around doing like 
MMA stuff or, or something. So I, I get to see him every now and again. But yeah, like like I said, I got I got love for Oklahoma City. I, I've always enjoyed being there. It always kind of felt like I wouldn't go as far as to say a second home, but at least a third home, you know, like, like I never felt out of place there. There was always nice people to see. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I was curious. I was excited to talk to you about it. If we, if we were able to connect on the, uh, the bad grannies front. <laughs> I can't believe, you know, bad grannies. Like I, that's like <laughs> a, uh, I, I, I so rarely talk to anyone who knows anything about Oklahoma. Like, um, so that was nice. A nice moment. Oh, of course. <laughs> but, so um, it's funny. Yeah. You you just you just mentioned uh you know some like the the tooth and nail and all that sort of stuff. So uh from from reading interviews and hearing interviews I know that yeah like you mentioned a, a big part of your musical upbringing was was like opera and church music and things like that but I'm curious to ask you what your first experience falling in love with falling in love with music that was like your own, you know. No normally I ask what your first experience with music that you connected to and and I think when we know the answer on that but I'm curious for like the first thing that you found that felt like it was your own identity? This is a great question. I felt like, I mean, it's such a corny answer, but like the first artist I felt like I really <laughs> admired or felt like I found organically was probably Jimi Hendrix. I mean, I was like, just like when I, rem- I remember being like, oh, wow, like, I want to play guitar, like, <laughs> because of this guy. This guy's awesome. Um, and I, I fell in love with and, like, learned a bunch of blues songs. And, you know, I feel like my journey to falling in love with, like, music was just, like, through learning how to make it and how to play it. And a lot of that stuff was kind of what I, like, first started learning how to play. And um, there are a bunch of, like, guitar players that I lived around um, that hung out at a guitar shop that I used to go to who used to play a lot of country music. So I used to, like pick up licks from them and compare them to the things that I was learning from like these Jimi Hendrix things I'd found. Um, so that was kind of like my beginning in learning how to play guitar and also like finding music that I liked listening to. That wasn't something that I found in a church. And I was probably like 12, I was like 13, 14 around this time. Like I was pretty young, but, um, the first like bands that really gave me like a, sense of like purpose almost, or like made me feel like I was a part of a scene were definitely hardcore bands, uh, like at the drive-in glass jaw, um, and a bunch of Christian bands, like as cities burn, I think like when I was 14, 15, um, my buddy went to cornerstone festival and like Mm -hmm. came back and was like, Oh my God, you got to check out this band. And they, they blew my mind. Like I had never heard anything like that. And I, I, that was like a band that I still to this day, like reference shit that they do. I think that they were like amazing. <laughs> so, you know, those were some bands and, but Asides Burn for sure. It's funny. I feel like that first record, what, uh, Son, I Loved You at Your Dark, Darkest. Is that what it's called? Yes. The first record? Yes. I, I yes. feel like that record didn't get outside of the Christian world the acclaim that maybe it should have. Uh, like, it, I agree. It, it had, yeah, it had the elements of like I'm a huge Me Without You fan. I, I'll forever be a mm, huge Me Without You same. fan. And big time. And uh, January 1979. <laughs> forget it. You know, uh, <laughs> we like we did our our second and third records with uh, Brad Wood, who did Catch for Us the Foxes and Brother Sister. Like those are two of the main records that we cited as like going to him. You know, so uh, the. But what I was gonna say is like As Cities Burned was like kind of the total mix between Norma Jean and, and Me Without You, but I, I don't know what it was that that I feel like they didn't break through to like the secular world at all. D- do you feel me on that? Does that does that feel correct? Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. And I felt like there were a lot of secular bands that to- that loved this band. Like uh, you know, um I feel like I would hear their name come up a lot in their interviews. But they never, I don't know why they didn't cross over, but like, shit, Son I Loved You at Your Darkest was crazy. Bloodsuckers on that. The Widow is on that. Like 127 is on that. Those are big, big rock songs. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. So was guitar your first instrument that you learned how to play? You're like a multi-instrumental person, right? Can you play multiple stuff? I'm trash. Like I, I'm actually <laughs> trash at everything. Like I, I'm a good guitar player i'm a, i'm good at playing my shit on guitar and i will spice up your shit but 
probably won't play what you want me to play. <laughs> like, Interesting. Um, like I'm a, I'm not like a learned guitar player, but I'm a good guitar player. And I, I taught myself how to play the things I wanted to play. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I've also, you know, I've got Rhodes pianos and synthesizers and other shit that I use, but I, I probably wouldn't play in anybody's band. I, I feel like I can use it comfortably on my own stuff, but I, you know, I don't read music or, you know, do anything like that. So, you know, I, I'm a poly and multi-instrumentalist on my own stuff, but for other people, I'm a guitar player and a singer. <laughs> okay. Do you remember what your first guitar was and how it came your way? Yeah. Um, it was just a Stratocaster, like parts caster guitar. Um, wasn't a Fender. Um, man, and I can't remember getting how I got it, but I remember it smelled really bad. Like it was <laughs> Did you get gross. It from bad grannies. I don't remember, man. Like I, I, I've thought about this so much. Like, how do, I hope someone hears this and is like, I gave you that guitar and right. I'll be like, well, well, it smelled really bad, but um, <laughs> it was weird, but I, that was my first guitar. And uh, my parents for Christmas bought me like my first little like Fender amplifier um, when I was in high school. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Right. It's yeah. And it, you know, with guitar, I think what works against people a lot, I know it certainly did for me as a, as a young person where like I had, you know, not even, I don't even know what you would call this acoustic guitar, but it was around the house all the time. And like, I feel like a lot of people's first experience is playing guitar. If it's not like a Fender Strat, which was also my first, like that kind of a thing was like my first guitar guitar. But like, you know, their first introduction is often kind of a piece of shit acoustic that has the strings like three inches off the fretboard so that like, it just destroys your fingers. And, you know, it's, it's quick to feel defeated by it, but you know, if you, it's funny how like as as you get used to the things that are terrible, as you get if you happen to get a guitar that's, you know, made well, you realize how much easier it actually is. It's like you put yourself through the hard part um, while while you're first getting introduced to the instrument. And then you realize later, you're like, oh, this is actually much easier than than I expected. Totally, totally, totally. Mm hmm. It's, it's a fascinating thing. Um, yeah. So what was what was your first band? Well, <laughs> Uh, excluding church bands, sure. <laughs> I would say because you know I had a show every Sunday, as you know. So I'm gonna say, no, but um, the yeah, uh, yeah. the band that I uh, started like in high school was a band called Belmont, and it was like a post hardcore band. Um, and I I was a singer and guitar player. It was like a four piece. We had a MySpace. The music is still probably there, nice. and. Uh, you know, that was my first band. It was great. <laughs> we were we were a fun band to, to see for sure. And that was in Oklahoma. Yeah, it was in Oklahoma in Mustang. But we played downtown and we played at the conservatory and Bad Grannies and it was cool. And was that the first band that you recorded with? Like uh in, in like a go to a studio? Yeah. Hmm. I think it must have been. Well, no, well, not entirely. Like I played, I had a friend that I played guitar with a lot <laughs> in like late middle, like in eighth grade, um, Christian Spencer, who's like a really sick, like metal guitar player now. I think that's like what he does for a living. He just like plays the heaviest shit for people. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, like we used to just like write emo songs at his house. And I'm sure that I recorded some, I had like a, like a Tascam like little tape recorder I used to record a lot of shit with like, but you know, I didn't like release that music. It was just like making songs with friends. Um, Belmont was probably the first project that I actually like put something online for and had like a little poster for and like <laughs> a guy who ran like a local martial arts um, like club um, made us our first t-shirts and it's so cute. Like I still have it. Aww. It's just like Belmont in cursive over a little pocket on like a Hanes t-shirt. It's cute. It's great. Perfect. Perfect. It's great. <laughs> yeah. The uh yeah, I was going to ask like do you remember what your first recording experience like going to cuz cuz I know I know yeah, you've done a you've done like some home recordings and you, you were always kind of playing around with that, but when it comes to like going into a studio and and doing the whole thing, you know, tracking separately and all that sort of stuff. Do you remember what your first experience doing that was? Yeah. Um it was for that record and we did it with my um 
this this friend we had named Kai at the time who um, had a studio in his garage, which really just consisted of a small table with a MacBook on it and like two microphones. And, uh, yeah. And we just record. Oh, I thought it was so professional. I remember being like practicing really hard before I was like, we're going to the studio tomorrow. I want to make a good impression. Like, da, yeah. da, 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 da. I was telling my parents about it. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. But it was cool. Um, I don't remember a lot from it. I just remember like I was way over prepared and everyone else in the band was just like having fun smoking weed. And I was like, guys, we're in a session. We have to like do this. <laughs> Do you feel like do you feel like that sort of preparedness has continued in your life? Like do you go in feeling that same sort of way? Yes. I think everyone around me thinks I'm really chill and like a very happy go lucky like low key person, but the people who know me know that I am just like super over prepared. I'm always thinking about what to do next and always planning something like i i'm a planner for sure so you know that that experience is is indicative of my life now <laughs> it's funny sure. in my in my notes uh for this interview towards the bottom it, uh, a talking point is smart planner <laughs> so so you just you just you just said it for me right there uh i can absolutely tell just like from what from what i've learned about you and 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 uh and and so on it's it seems like not even seems it, it's it's clear that you really do understand the importance of of making a plan and sticking to it and and uh getting things aligned just right before doing something and and i and i, and I i try to tell people to do to do that same sort of thing you know it's it's an important aspect to to this world that we're a part of you know like i think the days of just of just being like oh yeah i wrote the song yesterday now it's online um you know i I think there's something to that if in in certain genres but if you're trying to like really make an impression the more the more you do to plan is is always going to work out better for you always definitely the more thought you put into you know it, it translates in ways that are unexplainable I really believe like, I feel like I can tell the difference between a record that was really thoughtful and planned out over time than like versus like a record where they were like, yo, we've got 10 days to track and we've got 18 songs, you know, like I can hear the difference. And I think that most listeners can too. Um, You know, there were multiple versions of live forever um, before this one came out. Um, You know, interesting. Yeah. So you know, iteration, you know, to a point, like I'm definitely not a believer in like holding songs for multiple years until they're perfect, but I am a believer in like making sure that those songs are supported and have enough of a foundation to where like when you release them, if everything goes wrong, it's still going to be like a successful and like thoughtful release. You know, <laughs> there's, there's yeah. a lot of things you can control, you know, to, to make sure that happens. So, you know, that was something I learned through this whole process, just like how valuable time is and how you should really use it to make sure the shit is, you know, ready. With you doing so much of the recording yourself, is it ever hard for you to let go to be like, the song is done? No, actually, I'm normally sick of the songs when I'm done recording them. I'm like, uh, moving on. I need to do another one. You know, like um, yeah. it actually is hard for me to come back and work on the same song because once I record the idea, I'm like, cool, it's there. Like that's, that's why the song's good. <laughs> you know, uh, right. I try to move, move on quickly, but um, yeah, I don't know. I have friends who have a, such a hard time letting, letting songs go. And that is not my vibe at all. I guess. Well, the reason I was asking is because you had just mentioned that there's like different versions of of the record so that's why i was curious if it was like oh i wish i could have done this one a little bit differently and now i'm going to redo it or something like that yeah no it's like um when i say there are many iterations i mean like over the years like um a lot of these songs i've either like sections of these songs have existed in other songs and other bands that have been in since i was in my first bands you know like i've been trying to like make sense of a lot of these sounds for like 
a decade, you know, like for a really long time. Um, so you probably won't find like Mustang, the full song in like one of my previous bands, but you might find like a bridge from far in a song that I wrote when I was like 22 years old, you know, like it's, it's like very realistic because I, I feel like, you know, I never really like settled. I never had clarity on like what I wanted with that music. Um, or like who I wanted to be as a person. I feel like those things were kind of like running in tandem, like right beside each other. Like, who do I want to be? What do I want to make? Like, I feel like those have kind of been my big questions to myself over my whole life. And, um, you know, a few years ago when I kind of like had the realization that I wanted to make this album and what I wanted it to do and like what I wanted to do with the career, um, all that music made sense. And I, I knew what to do with it. And, um, so I took all those songs and wrote a bunch of new ones and just started like building like the world that I wanted to exist, um, that I kind of always felt was just out of reach, I guess. So, yeah. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. I'm curious what your first, like what your first, uh, did any of those early bands that you did, did you ever do any tours with them? Like how did did you ever have that experience like in Oklahoma or did you not start touring until you moved out East? Yeah, I think when I was in Oklahoma, I did like one small tour with a band, but it was like Tulsa, Oklahoma city, Denton, Texas, um, just like a weekender kind of thing. And I was really excited about it, but that was the only thing I did when I lived there. Um, but when I moved to the East coast and eventually to Brooklyn, um, did like more touring, mostly in the East Coast, played South by a few times, played some shows in the Midwest a few times in various bands. Um, but yeah. Did you have like a, a quick love for being on the road or or was it something that took a little time to get used to? I actually um it was it's it's there's pros and cons. Like I kind of like being on the road. Um I I feel kind of used to the idea of it because my mom had to go on the road a lot and um mm. My dad traveled a lot. I feel like I've always kind of traveled and kind of always expected it to be a part of my life. Um, you know, even before like, you know, music was doing, before music got really busy. I mean, I've, I've worked on like campaigns and um, I was like a communications consultant, press secretary. Um, so I, you know, was traveling a lot um, and, you know, internationally for, you know, so for work. So, you know, I've always liked traveling. Um it's really cool traveling for music though. Um, <laughs> I like <Yeah>. that. <laughs> I like that the most, you know, it's, it's a, it's like a dream come true. I love yeah. it every time. Yeah. I got to ask cause, cause, uh, I'm, I'm super curious. You know, I've heard you played in a million bands or I, or I did a million bands. Like what's the story with that? Like you, you join a band or you start a band and then you play, you record some songs and then it breaks up. What's the story? Are, are you like the, are you the, the roommate, the trouble roommate that, 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 that comes in and then leaves immediately. What's the story? What, what's, what's going on with all these bands you're playing in? Well, I, I, I wanted to play everything and like, I would just play in like three or four bands at a time, you know, and they're all kind of moving. Um, but they might not all be playing at the same time. So it'd be like, you know, six months. I'm like a big part of like, like this guy, Stefan Marcellus was like on the voice or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. the voice ended, he didn't win, but he still, he wants a band for like a show at the Apollo. So he's like putting a band together and playing those bands for like two or three shows and, you know, see what happens, you know? So it was like a lot of like hired gun kind of stuff that I was doing. Okay. Um, so that's kind of when I say I play in a bunch of bands, it was like whoever was paying me to play in their band, I would probably play in the band. And it was okay. Yeah. So there was that. And I also, yeah. And I also just like, you know, I had a hardcore band that I played in. Um, I was like, talk to me about that. What's that? What's the hardcore bands you played in? Oh, there was a band called stay inside. Um, that is great. They're on no sleep now. Yeah. Yeah. I started that band. Oh Um, shit. Yeah. I started that band. Um, I like vent, um, Vishnu and Bren, we worked together at MakerBot, um, a 3d printing company. And, uh, Chris, I met him on Craigslist. Like we had this, we just like, I posted a Craigslist ad. I was like looking for people who like, you know, touche more and like me without you. I wish I could find that fucking ad. If I can find it, I'll send it to you. But, um, Oh wow. Oh wow. But yeah. There, um, but yeah, we all met and that was the band that I was like, you know, that was probably the biggest band that I was in in Brooklyn that I was like, 
if if anyone knew me, they probably knew me from that. But I also played in a really good country band um, called Lizzie No. Um, played in another hardcore band called Sea Evil. Um, you know, a lot of couple band, a few more. You know, oh, were you playing doll. guitar in these bands or or singing in these bands and like the hardcore <laughs> bands? I'm curious. Yeah, well, in Stay Inside, I sang and played guitar. Um, and then uh, in Sea Evil, I just played guitar. And in the country band, I just played guitar too. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's super cool. How, how, where, did, uh, where did your love from country come from? Is that, is that the Oklahoma? Yeah. I mean, and I grew up on Garth Brooks Boulevard, like no cat. That was literally no. like the street I grew up on. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's either so going like, to do one thing or the other. It's either going to make you exactly. fucking hate him or it's going to make you embrace it. So that's funny. Yeah. And I, yo, like, I love it, man. And like my family, like my family is all, we're all like Southern black people, you know, from North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, you know, like there's a lot of country and blues, like, you know, especially, you know, my parents, my mom's a singer and like her mom and uncles, they were all blues singers and, you know, Jubilee singers. And, you know, it's a long line of singers in my family and, um, you know, country music and blues music is kind of just what comes naturally. And those were, you know, I didn't even know those weren't religious songs you know i just kind of thought they were i thought they were all christian songs you know quite frankly because i was just like oh like they're always playing around the house um got it oh that's super cool oh that's super cool is there a chris Gaines street that's that's where i'd want to (laughs) live same oh my god that's I'm still so fat. You know, I feel like the world needs a reminding of Chris Gaines every now and again. Like Same. <laughs> like, same. Every time, like, um, you know, people have asked me and not published it because I think they thought I was trolling them. They'd be like, who's like your favorite artist? And I'd be like, Chris Gaines. <laughs> <laughs> and the j- reporter will literally just pause and ask me again. And I'm like, no, put no, it in for there. Real. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm that so, shit I is want- amazing. <laughs> Yeah, give me Garth Brooks with a soul patch. That's Please. that's what I want. Oh, uh, it's so funny. I, can't, I still can't believe he did that. Isn't that it's hilarious? crazy? It's what? I just want to. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for that meeting. You it know? would be like me too. I, it would be like if like Future put out like a bubblegum pop album <laughs> under the name The Past or some right. shit. Like right. it would just be like what is going on. Like, I'm wondering, was it, I'd have to look at the timeline, but I'm wondering how close that was to Prince going under the artist formerly known. Like if that was like the era of trying to be like, have mystique or something. No fucking idea. Yeah, man. Gosh, no idea. I I can't believe it. I I literally just pulled up the page just to look at this man again. I just can't believe it. It's so good. It's so good. It's one of the funniest things that's ever happened in music. And and, uh, for listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, uh, educate yourself on Garth Brooks putting out. Is it just one record as Chris Gaines? I think it is. It is one record. One record. And uh, he just decided he just he like grew his hair a little long and like dyed his hair black. It got a soul patch and just like it was him is like alter ego. (laughs) It's so weird. Just I and I. I still don't know if he meant it or if he was like, ah, let's just do this. It's ridiculous. Like, because the song quality is too high. The songs are too right. good. So it's right. like, whoa, are you joking? Yeah. And what, what's going on? I don't know. I would love to see the behind the music on that. If that show does still exist, that would be nice. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if uh, if they ever need to have a documentary made, if if no one wants to jump at it, you and I can collab and try to, try oh, to put out the... The Chris Gaines doc. We've got to do uh, it like Borat style. Like who is Chris Gaines? Like start from ground zero, you know? Right. Like- <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Um, there's no way I was not going to get into some of this. Some, some of the, Let's do some national talk because yes. they are, they're, they're like one top in my top three favorite bands. And I, I have a feeling you're, you're in the same ballpark as, as I am on that. Um, how did you discover them? What, how did, how did that come your way? Yes. Do you remember? Yeah. Um, I had a friend named Grant Marshall, um, who was kind of like, I feel like every group of friends has like the friend who's really into music and is always like, yo, you should listen to this. And we all just listen to their playlist and it's always good. And that was that guy for me in high school and college. And, um, you know, he was, he's a great drummer too. And he was like, yeah, man, like my favorite drummer is this guy, Bryce Devendorf. I was like, 
who's that? He says, oh, he plays drums for the National. You should check him out. They got this record called Boxer, right? Boom. That's like the intro. And I listened to it and I didn't really get it. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, this is cool. But like, I like TV on the radio. You know, that's kind of where my head is. And it didn't really hit me. Um, And he was literally like, oh, they're playing in Tulsa. Like, we should go check them out. (laughs) And we just went and watched. And I was like, whoa, this sounds nothing like the record. Like, this is like a this is like a hardcore band, like the way that they were playing and the way that Matt was like, you know, fronting like he fronted like it was like it was a heavy band. And I just never saw a band that musical be so heavy and so like thoughtful, like it was just peak everything I loved in music. Um, And ever since then, I just like had like a penchant for them. (laughs) Um, And I just, you know, admire so many facets of their lives, like their careers, their music, who they are as people. I'm, I'm into them. I like them a lot. For sure. It's funny. I was just talking to, uh, to, to my fiance about that, where like there was a video that like Matt, the singer had posted on Instagram the other day of him, like just driving around in his like convertible, just being like, Hey, you want to like talking to his brother? Like just him being like, Hey, you want to go for a drive? And I'm like, who just goes for a drive? Like he's just living his best life. It's crazy. Love it. It's so crazy. Um, I love it. It's, yeah. Like I, my, uh, my girl like worked in Santa Monica for a while and she said that she would always see him like just driving near the beach with the top down, j- just looking like he's going nowhere. It's it, like, it's, He's he's so cool. He's so so cool. But it's funny. I I found the national a similar way where um it was 2010 probably and it was actually Jeff uh Rickley singer Thursday who sent me Boxer. I was like I feel like you would be into this and it was around the time that I was really really getting into Leonard Cohen and uh and it just it just clicked immediately. You know, like I was like, "Oh my god, the lyrics are everything." And um I listened to you talk uh, on that on Tim's podcast about because um, you did the for, uh, the EP that where you covered a, a couple national songs where you had mentioned like oh I loved doing that because I didn't have to write the lyrics <laughs> and and that stood out to me a lot I, re- I really enjoyed that um, are you are you yeah. hypercritical <laughs> when it comes to writing lyrics is is especially being someone who's a fan of the national who are like top tier lyrics like do you put yourself like through a lot of stress because you're you know you understand the importance of how good a, uh, how good lyrics can actually be this is another like time when i have to say like I'm trash. Like I, I disagree. I'm, I feel I'm not like, going to just blow smoke. I, no, I'm disagreeing I, with you. I can't <laughs> like, I'll just, well, I'll just, I'll be honest. Like with lyrics, like I've had so many like philosophical shifts personally on like the importance of, or the lack of importance of spending a lot of time writing perfect gr- or like great lyrics. Um, So like for like on one end, you have like Matt Berninger, like someone who, I think writes some of the most personal and relatable and somehow still heady lyrics I've ever heard. Like, um, and they read well, they sound well spoken and they sound well being sang. Like it's, it's incredible stuff. And like, yeah, I know he and his wife like co-write a lot of stuff, but they've got like an incredible thing going. And then I look at bands like Weezer who have like spreadsheets of just like vocal phrases that they think sound cool. And they just like put them in sound, they just put them in songs and they're hit songs. And people are screaming those lyrics in co- like coliseums all over the world, you know? And it's like, it's two very different philosophies on like how to write lyrics, you know? And and I, I do believe to a point, like if I can write a great song, um, the lyrics are probably 20%, the music's probably 20, 30% and everything else is like the arrangement. And then like, if it's actually real, like if it's true coming from an actual place and getting like a real emotion across. Right. And I feel like if you can get those things across, like the lyrics almost come secondary, like lyrics can like push you over the cliff or, but they're probably not going to make your song suck if the song at its core is really good. That's, that's fascinating. If you were to pick, and I don't want to put you on the spot, top Let's do, we could do top three or top five national songs. I'm just curious because we're, we're clearly ah! nerds. We're clearly nerds. If you, and no. I'm not going to, and I'm not going to, 
You don't have to stick to these, but just off the top today, what would you say your top? Let's go top three. Jesus. I know it's hard. Okay. My number one all-time national song is The Geese of Beverly Road. Great one. I think that song is excellent. Yeah. Boom. Perfect song. Number two. Yikes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Mr. November is such a clutch song. Like, I, you know, it's got to be on the list. It's too good. Yeah. Too good. Um, all the wine has to be on the list because it's too good. And now I'm getting stressed because there's only two left and I haven't even touched like the last there's four records. <laughs> yes. It's uh, And I can't say cherry tree, but, but let's just like say like cherry tree and murder me, Rachel, like we're putting them in there, but I can't put them on the list. They're, they're in play right yeah. now. Um, fuck. What's that one song where Aaron's guitar line is like, you know what I'm talking oh, about? Off of, uh, it's off of. Uh, Damn it! Uh, it's uh, it's it's the system only dreams in yes, darkness or whatever. On. Yeah, that song is like I gotta put it on there because I remember when I heard that song, I was like, these guys are getting older and better. Like they are getting better. Yeah. <laughs> How are they getting so much better? You know, I was. Uh, it's shocking that they can be so consistent. And do new things all the time and still sound just like themselves. It's crazy. Watching them perform uh, I Need My Girl and watching one of the Dresners do the thing where they like where they're just holding the guitar and slamming it on the ground to make that Yo. to make that resonating like boom. Yes. I was like, fuck, man. It's so interesting <laughs> and so good. So interesting and I so, hate good. Them. <laughs> so good. And you got to you got to put out a record on Brassland of the covers. Like how how involved was the Dresners in that process? Oh, not too much. They're pretty busy. Yeah. They, they're, they're, they're super busy. Um, but they, of course, like heard everything, approved everything, made everything very easy for me. Um, and like, you know, of course, like provided some budget for me to complete the project. So like they they were like super helpful. And, um, you know, Alec Bemis, he's like some, the other person that like kind of runs the label. And like they were like really, um, you know really cool really really cool to work with um clean and easy i i listened to you say that you know you're obviously in your third you're in your 30s and you know your your record's taken off right now it's like starting your career a little late and you know the uh i forget who you were referencing with someone else did that too and um you know not to let that stress you out too much i mean the thing that i've always thought about that myself i you know i'm five years older than everyone else in touche so i started touche when i was 25 so now i'm Mm -hmm. 37 and you know we're we're still doing it and you know i'm always been jealous of them it's like wow you guys got to play europe when you were 20 what's that like you know shit like that but <laughs> but uh but you know a person that for me that i always come to that it f- makes me feel better is like yo leonard cohen didn't put out his first solo record till he was 33 yeah so we're good uh, i'm not i'm not letting you off the hook give me one more national song i think that'll round out the five uh! I thought I got, you know what? Um, nobody else will be here. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. That's a, that's a that's really a, good one. That song is a, it's, it, it's deep, man. Like, yeah. it's, it's a powerful song, you know? Yeah. yeah they really flex their muscles on that song. Um, I love, I powerful. love that you covered, yeah. uh, I love that you covered Lemon World. Cause that's in my top, that's in my top three for sure. And I feel like they, they hey. don't give that song enough love. Because I've still never seen them I play don't. it. I've seen I've seen the national like eight times now, and and every time they don't play it, and it just crushes me. Y'all, I know we could do this all day. So I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna hit you with one last question, and cool. and what that is is, uh, and it might be a hard one to answer considering your record came out and we're all stuck indoors. But uh, do you remember the first time where you felt like you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards? Where you're like, oh my god, I'm 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 yes. actually doing this. Oh, hit me. What is it? Um, so my friend Lizzie had a country band called Lizzie No, um, great band, um, little, like bigger than any band that I'd ever played in. And, um, we were, we got booked to play, um, at Rough Trade in New York. And I mean, me, I'm from Mustang, Oklahoma. Like, you know, I know what Rough Trade is, but you know, I never thought I would like get to see a show there or play there. Or, you know, I was very like, you know, country mouse in the big city kind of, and, um, you know, I remember going up on stage and like 
line checking my amp and just looking across the room and it being completely empty and then being like, I wonder if anyone's going to come. And then going back on stage like an hour later and it was completely packed. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to do this forever. (laughs) Like I just, you know, I'll never forget how it felt. I was like, whoa, I feel like this is what I was born to do. And I, I just like played my, my ass off. Like it was like the most fun I'd ever had. Just like, you know, it just felt like I was supposed to be there. Um, but yeah, that's probably it. That, that was my favorite, one of my favorite experiences. Yeah. It was like probably two years into living in New York at the point at that time. And, 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 you know, New York was a lot of hustling. So just, it all kind of paid off. I was like, I moved here. I didn't know anybody. And here I am like a year and a half later, like playing a sold out show at rough trade with, you know, a person that is my friend that I didn't know, you know, so it was cool. How cool. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a wonderful way to wrap this up. And, and genuinely from, from the deepest part of my soul, congratulations on everything. I'm really excited to, to watch this career unfold more and more. Uh, I look forward to eventually getting to hang out with you whenever we cross paths. Um, I have a feeling we're going to end up in a lot of the same circles. So uh, I'm excited about everything. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, Jeremy, so good to meet you. And, uh, you know, if you ever need anything, let me know. This was great. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe or follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. And if you can spare a moment to give us a rating and review on Apple, it helps the show gain more visibility and that can make all the difference. Thank you. And I'll see you again next week. Yeah.